how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. So last night I was watching some of our outtakes that our team puts together with my wife, Katie, and she turned to me and said that you have Larry David energy, otherwise known as LDE. Yeah. And she texted you and you responded saying that that's not the only time you've gotten that this week. Mm -hmm. That's the second time this month. This month. That someone has said that I have Larry David energy. LDE. LDE. So Colin has- I take it as a huge compliment. That is a huge compliment. Yeah. And And I think it helps- Listeners understand who I am within the confines of this relationship. You are Jerry Seinfeld. Okay. Right. That's a huge compliment. Generational talent. I'm not (laughs) saying I'm not talented either. Right. But, you know, Jerry has been the one that he's the face, right? He was the face of Seinfeld. I see. Larry David was behind the scenes. It does so happen that I am also one of the faces. And you're kind of curmudgeon. But if someone came up to us and was like, okay, yes, actually I am. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that, took, that was a delayed reaction to that. Well, I was going somewhere you. else, but yeah. I was going to get to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm more curmudgeonly. I don't want to do a lot of things. Yeah. I don't want to see a lot of people. Yep. I just want to do my work. Yeah. Make a good show and then take it easy. So welcome to this audio exclusive episode of the Colin and Samir show. On this episode, we're going to be answering your questions. So we're actually going to let you guys interview us. So we asked for questions on Twitter. We're going to answer them. So let's get into it. That's not to say if you see me that you should feel weird about coming up to me or talking to me. I do really like meeting people who listen to us and watch our show. Sometimes. All right, let's get into this audio-only episode of The Colin and Samir Show. It's so funny. I feel like we spend so much time thinking about other creators and interviewing other creators, and we haven't gone on that many podcasts recently. But when it does happen, it's it's pretty fun. And one of the coolest things is actually seeing this Q&A that we put out on Twitter and seeing the questions that our audience has. Was that your way of just saying you really want to talk about us? Yeah, we like, don't get to reflect on when us. When can we talk about ourselves? Yeah, we just don't get to reflect on yeah, it. you're right. We, yeah. Like, we spend a lot of time talking about other creators. So it's, it's a fun experience. So, all right, we're going to take these questions from Twitter. First question is from Sahil Chopra. Sahil is actually my brother's name as well. Uh, And he says, as YouTubers and small business owners, how do you hire? How do you know when you need an increased headcount to either fill a missing skill or augment or enhance what y'all are doing? How do you find folks that you'd like to work with? We talked a little bit about this on Mm -hmm. last week's episode, but a lot of it comes down to, again, knowing what you want to make, who you want to speak to, how you want to transform them. And starting to understand what your process is to make your videos. Yeah. Because once you understand the process, then you know what roles you could potentially fill, right? We have Mm -hmm. graphics on our episodes. Let's get someone to help with graphics. Yeah. And I think for us, what's really important now is like we've built a team around the show where we have, um, you know, an editor who basically takes from what Colin and I just record. We have an editor who takes that, cuts it colors it, makes sure it looks really good, makes sure it's tight, cuts the angles. Then that goes over to another editor who works on the story with Colin to make sure the story's working. We have another editor who cuts short form content with us. 
And we also have you know, a production manager who's essentially making sure we're on schedule and also helps us write our scripts. So every role right now kind of is, is touched. And, you know, one of our editors as well is also working on graphics. Um, and so we've defined the roles first and then put, you know, hires against those roles. How do we find these people? Some of them are in our audience. Actually, a lot of them are in our audience. And that's kind of a hard balance because you also want to find someone who's not just a fan of what you do. You want to find someone who's going to give you pushback and actually give you feedback and not just be like, this is the greatest content. I'm, I'm here to just make it work and do whatever you say. So I would say, you know, when we interview someone, when we talk to someone, culture fits, number one, I'm not looking at a resume. I'm not looking about where you went to school. I, I'm looking at like, are you going to fit into this flow, be willing to have a voice, give feedback and fit into this process? That's really grueling. And be flexible and willing to learn. I think that's one of the best things about every single person that we've hired is that they've been willing to learn new things that we didn't even ask them to learn, right? Chris is learning how to make graphics and thumbnails that, you know, maybe two months ago he couldn't make. Jesse's getting so much better mm-hmm. at coloring our episodes. Yeah, and and also just cutting. If you've seen anything on our clips channel, like that's like outtakes or and these know, are things reels. that yeah, and these are things that we couldn't have even asked them to do in the beginning because we didn't even mm-hmm. really know we needed them. To be yeah. honest, I didn't know how badly we needed color correction <laughs> and audio help and just like a good production setup. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even our show, how it looks and feels today is just because Jesse was able to set up that setup. He lit it for us. He put cameras out and he was like, when we said we want to record our podcast on video, he put that together. Yeah. All right. Next question, which is kind of in line. This is from Ebro, uh, says, how do you cope with fast growth? Can you feel the pressure in terms of content release and how do you keep momentum while you're still growing? Um, okay. How I find you- this to be the hardest thing that we're dealing with right now. Like to give you a frame of reference this time last year, we didn't know what the, we didn't know what we were going to upload to YouTube. Really. We had about 120,000 subscribers and we were uploading kind of infrequently and we hadn't come up with the Colin and Samir show yet. We only had myself, Colin and one other person. So in the last 12 months, we've ballooned from me, Colin and an editor to six people in our creative office every day to 10 people that we're working with across all of our projects. And we also, have to deal with the responsibility of taking a role as an authority figure on what's happening on YouTube and in the creator world. And I think when you put yourself out there like that, there's added pressure to make sure that facts are right, that the way you describe Mm -hmm. a creator is right, and that you're representing a diverse set of creators. Mm -hmm. And I think you feel that weight a lot more post the growth of the last six months. So I would say like, Part of how we deal with fast growth is actually by building a team in a process so that there are checkpoints because Colin and I are required in everything we do. We're required in a lot of the partnerships meetings. We're required sometimes in speaking engagements. We're required in podcast recordings. We're required in shorts. We're required across the board. And so building a team and a process that that team understands is really important. So you have checkpoints. Here's the reality about fast growth. And we talked about this at the beginning of the year when we met, we're going to make mistakes and we already have. We've made mistakes during this last year. We've, we've had high highs and low lows because we're growing so fast. And one of the important things is to have a short memory with those. You have to learn from them and you have to apply that and you have to do like postmortems. You have to sit together and be like, what went wrong there and how do we fix it? And now let's build a process around that, but it's going to happen. 
Yeah. It's going to happen. And so also, yeah. Hydrate. Yeah, that's important. I think it's important. You got to yeah. stay hydrated. I think that, I mean, that brings up a whole nother piece around like one thing that Colin and I invested in is a personal trainer. Uh, we actually have the same personal trainer. Shout yeah. out to Devin Ricker. This is two weeks in a row we've shouted him out. <laughs> yeah, but every week, man, every week. Yeah. It, it, it's important. Like we have a fitness routine. We're trying to stay mentally and physically healthy so that as these like higher pressure situations are coming at us and we have more and more to create, we're able to keep ourselves like in a good place and keep ourselves in check. All right. This is from Cod Coach. It says, are you fully happy now in life? You have the momentum the fans, the creators coming to you. Is this everything you expected? Are you satisfied in life? I would say I'm settled, right? I'm clear on where I want to go, where I think we want to go. And there's a lot of satisfaction that comes from that. I think happiness is very much a roller coaster and an up and down sort of thing, right? And yeah. Like, you know, at any given moment, I can feel unhappy, right? Yeah, I think happiness and validation are two separate things. I feel like somewhat validated right now that we were able to, you know, we have been able to create a format. We've been able to create content. We've been able to connect with an audience. To me, I f that, that makes me feel validated. I feel respected in our industry. Like when we've gone to VidSummit or, or met with other creators, like I feel like, you know, that's really cool that people like our work and, and they feel like they can open up to us and, and, you know, like, invite us to interview them, stuff like that. I, I think that's like a lot of validation, but I agree with you that it's important for creators or entrepreneurs to recognize that achievement uh, does not, is not a direct line to happiness. Happiness is still something that you work on, you know, just on a daily basis of like the ups and downs of life and, and other things that are happening outside of your work. So I would say overall, like I feel really good and satisfied and validated and feel like we're on the right trajectory. But, you know, with this fast growth, with this momentum, with the increase in everything comes also a lot of stresses. Yeah. And there's no end game to this type of achievement. It's not like, you know, we're playing in the NBA and we just won the championship and then you retire. Right. It's just the opportunity to be in the league yeah, and keep playing and keep playing for you know who knows how many years. You said something interesting where, you know, when we were first starting out, we got a lot of comments on the channel that were like, man, this channel's underrated. We still get, we still get comments like that. Like, how are you guys at, you know, 550,000 subs? And you said something recently where you said, there's a point in your career where you go from being underrated to rated. And when you're rated, that means people are literally going to rate you and be like, are you like one day you're good, one day you're bad. Think about like an NBA player who one night has a bad performance. People are going to rate them. Yeah. They're going to be, you know, have, have critiques about them and what they could have done better. And, oh man, that player is so bad or something like that. And what's interesting is I feel that more now where we are just critiqued more, mm -hmm. of course, because we, we now reach a bigger audience. And yeah, yeah. I, I heard that. I forget where I heard that, but if you think about it, it makes total sense that if someone shows up to your channel or your platform and you have a small number of subscribers, anything that you do that is good, they will give you the benefit of the doubt that like that's your standard and wow, you deserve so many more people watching your stuff. Mm -hmm. But if someone shows up and 2 million people follow you, it's uh, the chance that that person will show up and go, mm, it's, I mean, it's not that good. It's not yeah. 2 million people good. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely feel that. But I, I try and read the comments a little bit selectively right now. Two-part question from Dental Digest. 
Shout out to uh, Dental Digest, great creator. Uh, he says electric or manual toothbrush. That's electric. the first part. Come on. Yeah, electric. Come it's on. obvious. Yeah. There's no other toothbrush. Do you floss? Yes, but not as much as you. Okay. You've yeah. been, I mean, that's true. Yeah. I've been flossing. You know, you've been yeah. flossing. I've been flossing. You know what's ugh, unfortunate and that just nags at me every day right now? Talk to me. So once the pandemic hit, I didn't go to the dentist. It's been a while. I went recently. And now yeah. I feel really bad. I feel very guilty. Like I'm going to show up and there's gonna be a lot of shame. Dude, there's shame every time you walk into a dentist. I know, office. but you just have to prep for that. Ultimate. It's like, look, I haven't been here in a long time. It's a wild experience that it's just understood that you walk into a dentist office preparing for them to shame you. Oh, and for them to be like, mm, wow. So you're mm. not flossing. Oh God. There's a lot of plaque on. Okay. All right. Hmm. So do you just not, you just don't brush your teeth or it's, I mean, Colin, it's been a long time since you've been in here for cleaning 18 months. Uh, you very, decided to not come here for 18 months. This is very triggering to me. <laughs> yeah. I really, I literally need someone to hold my hand to bring well, me to the dentist. Listen, we're going to need to do x-rays and check, um, to see you, you have a cavity developing over here. Gosh, and Samir, stop. Yeah. I've just been through the whole, what's the second part of the question? Emotional rigmarole yeah. of, a, of yeah. the dentist. I'm just recently. avoiding it, but I need, I need to go. The second part of the question is, what are your thoughts on incorporating brand deals? Do you feel like they hurt the channel more than they benefit? Um, I think there's the opportunity that they can hurt the channel. But I think as a creator, you want to try and choose selectively, like choose brands that you think will be additive. We're very fortunate that the brands that we work with can deliver us case studies about the creators that they work with. And that in itself is something that hits our value prop. Yeah. It's education, right? So if it worked for this creator, maybe it'll work for you. That's a roadmap that you could take. I think that's a really important point that, you know, your ideal scenario is that you define your audience and your value prop and your, your mission, and that you find a way to work with brands that are mission aligned. So for us, we feel like as we're doing an episode, when we incorporate the brand deal, if you're on our channel and you're trying to get educated on how to become a creator or, or progress in your career as a creator, you're going to find the brands that we work with relevant. You know, you're going to watch a Shopify ad and be like, oh, cool. Yeah, I, I could start a merch store on Shopify. Or you're going to watch a Jelly Smack ad and be like, oh, yeah, I should get my content across multiple platforms. Or, you know, next week you're going to watch a Riverside ad and be like, oh, yeah, I could actually use that to podcast remotely. I mean... In this exact example, Dental Digest, it makes perfect sense for you to advertise a brand of floss or toothpaste. Mm -hmm. But I think as a creator, but if we were to do that, right? You would go, Colin and Samir, why all of a sudden did you totally do a 180? Right. And you're now talking to me about toothpaste. I mean, I have nice teeth, so that's probably why. My, my teeth are fine too. They're <laughs> nice. They're fine. You don't go to the dentist, man. Samir. <laughs> but I think also as creators, thinking about creator brands. You know, like, let's say you use Adobe to cut your content. Like, can you try and, and find a way to work with Adobe so that if people are watching you, you can be like, I use Adobe Premiere to cut my videos. Now mm -hmm. that's relevant. So I do think the foundation of the creator economy is advertising. So that's an important thing to note that I think that it's a net benefit, right? Like that is the business we're in. But the second part of that is find a way to be hyper-defined in who you're trying to reach and your mission statement in how you're trying to reach that audience and find brands that that share that same mission. And you'll make more money that way too. Yeah. Right? Like Anthony from Dental Digest is going to make a lot more money from a toothpaste manufacturer than we would because his audience is there to learn about dental hygiene. All right. This is from Marcus. 
Do you guys ever consider trying an entirely new style of content outside of your niche? You're more, you're more than well equipped with the confidence and knowledge you've built. Are you absolutely all in on this genre and format? Well, we think about making different types of content every day. We every just day. don't act on it. Every day. Let's pitch some content ideas we have. Uh, okay. I'll start. Shorts channel called, uh, well, I don't remember what it's called now. I don't know what okay. it's called. Okay. Uh, Shorts channel where I introduce my friends to Indian foods. That's the one that's been looming. That's looming. That's over my head every day. I think it would be so fun. And um, it would be really cool because I could introduce people to foods that I grew up with, that they're unfamiliar with. There's a very clear act one, act two, act three structure. Here's this type of Indian food. And I'm going to have Colin try it. Colin tries it. Reaction. Oh, wow. And super clear cut shorts channel. Really fun. Great way to engage. And I've always wanted to make food content. Another format we've been throwing around is sort of like a TMZ style show (laughs) where everyone in our office is lavved up and we've got a bunch of cameras rolling and we discuss similar types of topics that we would discuss Mm -hmm. on the channel, but in a looser way with a lot more characters. Yeah. I would say this, what we're doing now is also us experimenting with new content formats. Yeah. Like a looser opportunity for us to have an open conversation with our audience. This is one of those. Mm-hmm. That for me, I would say in 2022, if we can go deeper into audio and and open open the doors more to our, our own personal experience would be awesome. So we dream about new content formats all the time. The challenge is when you build your business on a format that's working and you find content market fit, you have to just put your creative energy into making that format better and better and better every week. Mm-hmm. That's the goal of what we're doing. So I, I do envy and think back to the old, you know, or, or YouTube a couple of years ago or creators who can just upload anything. But I also think that's really hard to come up with ideas when your format is not defined or your genre isn't defined. For us, it's really clean to walk into a room and brainstorm around what's happening in the creator world. What can we teach in the creator world? What's the curriculum in the creator world? You know, what are our experiences I think that's important to have have constraints around what you're making. I'm trying to be pretty protective of our creative energy right now. Like we just need to put it towards the Monday show. All right. This is just a question from me to you. Okay. This feels like I'm going to be attacked. You're not going to be attacked. It's just because I want to bring up some, you know, stuff that we've been talking about. Okay. Um, Still feels like I'm going to be attacked. <laughs> Are you diving into the world of NFTs right now? You know, I consider it every day. <laughs> I feel like crypto is this thing that's looming where like FOMO is just so incredibly real when it comes to crypto. And, and at the same time today, I feel like I'm inundated with crypto projects to the point where I don't want to hear NFT anymore. I know I'm I'm thinking I want to do it just to learn. And I'm thinking about putting a small amount of money aside just to purchase NFTs that aren't that expensive. And just sure. sort of like spray and see kind of what happens, have like 10 or 15. I'm not really at a point where I want to be investing with the hope of making a return. I kind of just want to play and learn. But, you know, I know you've been you've been cashing out big time. Not big time. Big time. Not big time. Slap the base big time. Come but, on. But I, I will say before we get into that story <laughs> that I've teed up for myself by asking you a question. Um, yeah, I knew this was this was not for me. This was not for you. You're just a pawn in my, just in, in my storytelling scheme. Yeah. To yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say that I think it's really cool to see creators like Jeremy Cohen, uh, photographers release NFT projects. Like he released his rooftop series on OpenSea. And I think that's really cool. Like I, I love seeing creators get involved and I'd like to support creators mm-hmm. who are doing that. And, and 
I think it feels really cool to, to own, you know, a piece of a creator's work. We should look and see if we can buy one of his photos. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. I'd, I'd love to buy. Cause we have some collective NFTs. company ETH. We from got, our NFT that we could play with. We got ETH, you know, we should spread the wealth. Okay. So let me tell you this story. I, a couple months ago, bought an NFT called world of women. Now I bought this because I heard about it through multiple angles. I heard it on Logan's podcast. I heard it through Gary V. I heard it. I heard about it from multiple angles. It was showing up on Twitter a lot, but the r- real reason I bought it, cause I, I, I get a little nervous about too many creators into an NFT project. The real reason I bought it is because I went to the site and I looked up the project and it was really cool. It was about supporting female artists online. And one of the things that was really interesting was that if you bought into the NFT, if they ever used that artwork for commercial purposes, you got royalties from it. So you were essentially investing in a cool piece of art that if it was ever used again, you would collect royalties. I thought that was a cool structure and cool format. So I bought it for 0.8 ETH which is, uh, at the time was around $2,000. Okay. Then I got nervous. I don't do well with investing. I don't do well at all with investing. I've tried investing in stocks. I don't understand the long game at all. I need instant gratification. A week later, it, the, the, the floor price was below 0.8 and I panicked. It and takes I was, over your life. It takes over your life. And, Not, and I mean your life. Specifically you. That, oh, that wasn't the yeah. proverbial No, that life. was the me. Yeah, you me, have, me. Yeah, yeah, you Anything so, gambling adjacent, yeah, you need to stay away from. I, I and 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 I was very confused at that moment because I was like, do I own this to make money on it? Do I own it because maybe in the future? How long do I own it? So I just decided I'm going to set it for sale. I'm going to set it for sale for six ETH, which is twenty two thousand dollars or twenty three thousand dollars. And if anyone picks that up, great. But I'm not going to open my MetaMask or my OpenSea, and I'm not going to look at this because I just don't. I, I can't handle the ups and downs of this. Mm-hmm. So I just said it. Then more recently, I started seeing some news about World of Women and I had this thought. I was like, you know what? I should probably cancel that listing because I think this project's picking up and I I just don't, I don't even want to list it for sale. If someone wants to bid on it, sure. But I I think I want to hold on for this, hold on to this for the long term. So then I went and opened my MetaMask and I opened my NFT wallet and someone had bought it and it was gone. It was gone. And you thought- Amazing. I just made $23,000. That was not my first thought. Okay. My first thought was honestly, my heart dropped because I saw that it was gone from my wallet and I was so used to seeing it in there. And, um, I went to the page and it said, make an offer. And I was like, but that's mine. That's my NFT. But it's not. I know it was the first time I recognized that digital ownership matters and that I actually cared about it. Now, since then, I've come around to recognize this was a net positive. It was an amazing investment. <laughs> I made money. I 10X'd you know, my investment in, in, in this NFT, but I still feel this weird void around the fact that I don't own it anymore. I understand that, right? Yeah. I, I get it that owning that NFT was something you could feel proud of. It was something you could talk about. There was an identity to it too. Like on Twitter, there was a lot of people talking about like world of women. And I was like, I'm a proud part of this I'm community. I'm a proud part of that. You know, I'm a proud yeah. part of this community. Yeah. I felt some FOMO initially. I thought about getting one when it was around one ETH. Now the floor is around eight ETH. So should have, should have bought it. I told you about it. No, you didn't, I didn't withhold I any information I, no, I was, there. I was yeah. jealous yeah. and I thought about buying it, but I just didn't. I moved on. Yeah. And you know, now I'm now you're Mr. Mr. ETH, Mr. Crypto. 
I guess so. Mr. I don't know. NFT. I don't know if I'm going to invest in another NFT project. I would love to support creators now that I have more ETH. I'd like to buy in and we have company ETH that um, from our NFT sale that I'd like to use to support creators, independent artists. Um, I'd like to do that. So that's my story about NFTs and my experience with them recently. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that, let me know. Or if you were just like, Samir, what, what was that? Were you just talking what about? What was that? Metamask Answer our what? questions. All right. Here's a question from uh, Candice. This is, this is an interesting question. So Candice says, what do you think it will take for BIPOC creators to finally get paid equally within the industry? So just to take a step back, the Forbes list was just released of the top 10 highest paid YouTube creators. It was all males. And there was one female creator on it, which was like Nastia, mm-hmm. who's, who's a kid, uh, who's I think I don't know, eight years old, maybe, uh, who was on the highest paid list. So I, I think that the the creator economy right now and, and how wealth is being distributed definitely is not diverse. Yeah. And I think a lot of it stems to white privilege, right? Like to even have the thought, the time, and the resources to invest in a YouTube channel at a young age means that you do have like a, a great sense of financial stability mm-hmm. and the time and the support to even go down that type of path, which, you know, a lot of, it, it does have to do with, right, like having a bit of that white privilege that like traditionally, sure. that's I, just the case. Like even, even, I mean, even for myself, right? Like even the fact that I was, you know, able to go to college for economics and Italian, but right after I graduated say, ah, eh, I don't care about that. Yeah. I'm going to buy a camera. I'm going to start learning about how to make videos. Like that is actually a privilege that I knew no matter what I was supported if all else failed yeah. by my family and by like the situation that I grew up in. Yeah. I think that's fair. It, it, it's definitely high risk to try and become a creator. Um, I think that my hope would be that the platforms um, as well as other creators are interested in having a diverse set of voices and perspectives. I'm definitely interested in that. Like I did not grow up with hearing or watching people that looked like me and, and um, you know, that's on a much smaller scale, but I hope to see more diverse set of voices. So me as a creator, I think we have this conversation a lot about representation in our show and, you know, we hope to get better at being more diverse in topics we cover and creators that are on our show. And I think that's the collective, you know, responsibility and, and, and hopefully the collective desire of both the platforms and the creators moving forward. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's, that's what it's going to take is, is, you know, the collective. I mean, you have to take it all with a grain of salt, but even today we saw that Robert Kinsel announced that YouTube's not going to be funding YouTube originals anymore. They're just going to be putting it into the black creator fund and And, kids uh, kids. programming. Yeah. 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 I do want to note that, you know, we've spent time in North Carolina with Jimmy and Jimmy did not come from, you know, wealth, uh, meaning Mr. Beast. And he's at the top of that list. Um, but of course I do think that there's, you know, bottom line, my take is that creators as well as the platforms have to bind together and make sure that this space is diverse. Mm -hmm. That's important. And it's important to me. And I I think uh, important to you and important to our team and important um, to the point where we should have more discussions about it and, and just recognize that it needs to be more diverse. All right. What keeps you going? This is from Neil. 
Describe one of the toughest days in your YouTube career and what did you do to overcome that day and keep on with the journey? You know, some of the toughest days in our career were back in 2019 when we were completely out of money. Uh, You know, our YouTube channel was not what was funding our careers necessarily. We were doing production projects. I remember specifically making a documentary with Yes Theory, the the second one that we worked on that follows Amar. Mm -hmm. And that we just had a lot of technical difficulties and glitches in the production of that and being Mm. so fried and exhausted that I was delirious. We stayed up all night the night before it was supposed to release to try and get it done. And I think there was this inevitability at one point that we knew it wasn't going to get done, but we were awake in the morning still trying to get it done. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember that was like the most physically and mentally and just emotionally drained I've been But I'd also bring up during that time that wasn't like that wasn't the only time that happened. I remember one time we went to the grocery store uh, to pick up lunch and you like sat on the ground because you were so (laughs) overwhelmed. There were too many choices at the buffet, which sounds ridiculous. But (laughs) where this stems from is as an editor, you make thousands of micro choices and decisions throughout the day. So by the time you need to make sometimes another decision like what do you want to put into your lunch from the buffet at Whole Foods, (laughs) it can be stifling. I know it sounds totally ridiculous, but I I believe other people have talked about it and labeled it as decision paralysis. Decision fatigue. Decision fatigue. Yeah. yeah. I think it happens as, as a budding channel as well, where it's like, you're also making big decisions. What direction are we going to go with this channel? What type of content are we going to make? When, how often do we upload? How much time do we invest in this channel that we make $0 from? Like, should I keep doing this? Should I get a job? Like your decision matrix on every single day when you're trying to make something that's not working feels really overwhelming. And I'd say those days were the toughest days. Now, how did we get through it? I would say, like we mentioned last week, radical belief in each other and enjoyment in working together because of course we had to take on other projects to make a living, but at least we knew one thing, no matter how bad the project, we still enjoyed working and solving that problem together. That's right. If we didn't, if we stopped liking working together, Mm -hmm. we would not have taken on production projects as long as we did. Yep. So that, that's definitely for sure. Yeah. And I think genuinely being in love with the process, uh, of making a video, like every time we published a video, we were like, typically like, that's awesome. Very proud. (laughs) We did something and we'd watch it back and we'd talk about what made it good and what we could have improved on and what, and that's why, you know, our merch drop was called press publish and why our newsletter is called, you know, the published press. And this term publish is such a big one because what got us through it was literally pressing the publish button and just putting out content. That's what felt the best. And the publish button d- does not have a fee or a cost to it, right? You, you don't have to make money right, to press publish. right? And we shared that desire too, that even when in 2019, we technically went our separate ways and I moved home, there was no thought that we were going to stop making videos. It was just going to be different. And we weren't going to, those videos weren't going to have to make us a living, but we still wanted to press publish. All right. So here says, who is the most underrated creator you've come across? That's a tough one. It's a tough one. I'll, I'll give you some creators I really enjoy. Um, number one is Max Fosh. If I'm just look perusing YouTube and don't know what to watch, 
I'll even rewatch some of his videos. I find his humor to be really funny. His storytelling to be amazing. His accent to be delightful. Like Max Vosh to me is, is, is just a creator who I think can go really far. He's a comedian who actually went on tour, like a stand-up tour and filled the, the theaters just with his YouTube subscribers. Like I, I love his content. He's, he's under a million subs and I think more people should know about Max Fosh. You're right. He is delightful. He's just that so accent delightful. Is wonderful. Yeah. I, I wish I had a creator in mind, but I, I truly don't. And that, that probably means that I don't watch enough small creators. I watch so much YouTube. So do I, but, yeah. but I don't think I've latched on to smaller channels that are growing. A lot yeah. of what I watch is more established creators or things that are repurposed from Saturday Night Live or interviews, things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I would also say, let us know. Another creator that I've been watching a lot is Mitchell Pelkey, who's a college lacrosse player. Um, And I'm just fascinating because of this NIL thing, like because now college athletes can actually make money on their YouTube channels. I'm watching his like brand integrations. I'm watching him grow as a creator. I also grew up playing lacrosse, if you don't know. So I'm interested in that topic. Um, but Mitchell Pelkey, if you want to see like a D one athlete going at YouTube, he's got about 24,000 subs. Um, and it's really fun to watch him. He's fun. I'll think about this one and, and respond to it on a future podcast. Okay, cool. Uh, chef PK favorite snack while editing pretzels. Next question. Yeah, I would say apples. I like apples, apples and, and almond butter are a fantastic snack again, pretzels. Okay. Next question. All right. Uh, AJ, how do I get my hair to look like Samir? This is going to be um, a controversial answer. Did you plant that or is that a real question? That's a real question. Okay. Um, this is going to be controversial. Don't shampoo very often. Not that controversial. What do you mean that's not I, that controversial? I mean, you shampoo every day. Are you saying it's controversial because you're going up against big shampoo? I, I will take on big shampoo. You're trying to take on big shampoo. I'll take, I'll take on big shampoo. No, you're right. I mean, you need to have the natural oils. If you shampoo too much, yeah. you'll, you'll lose your hair. Oh, you've changed your tune. Yeah, I, I don't shampoo. You used day. to be on the side of big shampoo because I, ha- I didn't know about the dangers right. of so big shampoo. That's why I'm happy that I have this podcast and this platform to speak <laughs> on this and be like, everyone, careful. Don't shampoo every day. Yeah. Be careful. So, so long to shampoo sponsorships, I guess. <laughs> well, listen, if there's one that you can use every day, my DMs are open. All right. That's it for our Q&A. Um, we hope uh, this, this you know illuminated a bit about our journey and, um, you know, you learned a little bit more about us. I would say these are really fun and uh, we'd love to do them more often. Maybe we'll do them once a quarter and also let us know how you're enjoying these audio exclusive episodes. What you got one? I got one more question just to okay. ask you. I, I am totally interrupting you in the middle of that and That's you, fine. you were I doing was, a great job of yeah, closing this yeah, out. I was improving an outro. Um, but, I was yeah. scrolling Twitter and okay. I just saw something about the tsunami. Yeah. Did we even really talk about that? Let's, let's talk about that. That was wild. A couple days ago, we wake yeah. up and there's a tsunami alert it, and it, we all yeah. have to stay away from the beaches. But it wasn't a real tsunami. There was like a, a one to two foot waves. It was just like a strong current. All it said, if you read the fine print, it said, don't go in the water. What did you think though when you first saw that announcement? I panicked. I was like, oh, my house is going to be gone. I live a block from the beach. That's true. I'm not that close to the beach. I was, I was telling my wife, Katie, I was like, we, should we head for the hills? <laughs> my brother called me and he goes... <laughs> Hey, are you all right? What's going on? Yeah. And then I read the fine print and it was like one to two foot waves, but a strong current. So stay out of the water. But did you see the satellite video of the no. volcano going off? No. It's crazy. It's huge. The amount 
of space it takes up on the globe mm. is nuts. <laughs> okay, now that we've covered the tsunami, yeah, I, guess, I just had to I guess, get that off my chest. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this audio exclusive episode of the Colin and Samir show. We'd love to hear your feedback on this. Uh, we'd love to hear what you thought about this episode and what you think about these Thursday uploads to the audio feed. To be clear, these are not getting uploaded to YouTube. These are just audio exclusives just for our pod squad and to just really open up and, and talk more. And um, we'd love to hear what you guys think. We'd love to hear uh, any more questions you have for us. And we'll be back here next week with another episode. I'm actually headed to Colorado this weekend to spend some time with a bunch of YouTubers. Creator retreat. Creator retreat. Um, uh, this is going to be Ryan Trahan, Eric, Mr. Beast, Preston, a lot of interesting creators. Um, and next week on the episode, I'll talk about my experience there. And I'm not going because I'm Larry David. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Right.